Well, pecking orders are just a part of our lives, aren't they? They are everywhere we go. So at school, you've got the cool kids and you've got the not cool kids. Uh, you've got the principal, the deputy, the head teachers, and on and on the list goes. At hospital, you've got the nurses, the doctors, the specialists. At home, we've got our kids who are our favourites, and then there's the others. Uh, everywhere we go, okay, there's pecking orders, all right? There's a hierarchy. All right, what about here at church? What about here at church? What about among the people of God? Is there a pecking order here? Are some more important than others? As I said, right up to Matthew 18 to 20 this morning, Jesus makes it very clear in these chapters, there is no pecking order among the people of God, not at all. And when we get this, it has a massive impact on how we think of one another as well as how we treat one another. Two weeks ago, we left uh, Matthew in chapters 14 to 17, uh, Jesus being uh, shown to us on a very grand scale. Uh, He's declared to be the Son of God, the Christ. He is God himself in the flesh. As Jesus brings in the kingdom of heaven, it is very clear who is the king. As we come to Matthew uh, chapters 18 to 20, Matthew now turns his attention to what the kingdom of heaven means for everyone else who is in it. Jesus is clearly the king, but what about us? And what's made very clear in these chapters is that in the kingdom of heaven, there's no pecking order among those who are in it. We're given three reasons why. You can see them on your outline. Let's look at the first one. And it's that everyone in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest in the kingdom. That's the first reason why there's no pecking order among God's people. Now, the whole thing is kick-started off by the disciples because they're wanting to know who is the greatest in the kingdom. So look at it there, chapter 18, verse 1. 18 and verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, what's the pecking order in your kingdom, Jesus? We know you're in charge. Who's second in command to you? Now, as usual, the disciples are barking up the wrong tree and it's not like that in the kingdom of heaven at all. Verse 2, he called a little child and had him stand among them and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become like a little child. And if you're like a little child and in the kingdom of heaven, then you're the greatest in the kingdom. According to Jesus, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are simply those who are in it. Now, we'll see why that's the case as we keep reading into chapters 19 and 20. But for now, wrap your heads around that. Anyone who is in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. No pecking order. Everyone as equally as important as anyone else in God's kingdom. That changes the way you see people, doesn't it? If the person that you are sitting next to right now is a Christian, then you are sitting next to the greatest person in the kingdom of heaven if you went to the opera and you got to sit next to dame joan sutherland i know she's dead 
But just imagine, okay? Or if you went to the tennis and you got to sit next to Roger Federer. If you went to university and you got to sit next to Albert Einstein. If you got to sit next to greatness, mingle with greatness, talk to greatness. What if you got to help greatness? If you got to have input into greatness? Or greatness got to have input into you? Brothers and sisters, forget greatness at the opera or the tennis you are sitting next to the greatest person in the kingdom of heaven and if you're a christian then the person you're sitting next to they are also sitting next to the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because you are too everyone in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest Now, before getting to the second reason why there's no pecking order in God's kingdom, Jesus now explores some of the implications of everyone being the greatest because this is a very powerful idea. And so Jesus helps us to see what it'll mean for us as we relate to one another. And the first implication of everyone being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is this. When relating to the greatest in the kingdom of heaven... Handle with care. Don't cause any of Christ's people to stumble in sin. Don't lead any of Christ's people away from him. Handle with care. When I was growing up, uh, my nana and pop had some pretty valuable statues uh, and they would stand in the cabinet in the living room and as kids, we all knew, do not run in the living room. Do not play games near the statues. Do not throw anything in the living room. Actually, best if you don't breathe in the living room, <laughs> handle with care. Brothers and sisters, you are sitting next to the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Handle with care. Do not cause any of us to stumble into sin. Chapter 18, verse 6. Verse 6, Jesus continues, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. They are serious words, aren't they? If you had to choose between causing one of us to sin or being thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck Always, always choose the millstone. That's the better option, according to Jesus. Because we are talking about people being in the kingdom of heaven. And to turn someone away from Christ would mean they will go to hell instead of heaven. And so the last thing you would want to do is to cause any of us to walk away from Jesus. And you are to apply this to every single one of us. There may be people here this morning that you get along with more easily than others. There may be people here that you find easier to love. There may be people here that you respect more than others. But someone standing in the kingdom of heaven doesn't depend on whether you like them or not or whether you respect them or not. The Lord Jesus says... Everyone who's in his kingdom is the greatest. And so don't cause any of his little ones to sin. That's the first implication of everyone in the kingdom of heaven being the greatest. Don't cause any of us to sin. 
The second implication Jesus goes on to flesh out is simply the reverse. What to do if your brother or sister in Christ sins against you? Uh, You don't cause them to sin, but they sin against you anyway. How do we deal with that? Well, from verse 15, Jesus says, you help them to own up to it and to deal with it. They're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of course, you're going to help them. But how many times will we help one another with our sin? That's essentially what the disciples then ask Jesus. So come down to me with verse 21. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, that'd be pretty generous. You know, seven times someone from church sins against you and each and every time you forgive them. That's showing a bit of grace, isn't it? Uh, No, it's not. Not if we've understood what we've already seen in chapter 18. Remember, we are talking about dealing with the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about doing whatever it takes to not lead them into sin, turning them away from Christ. That is not an option to us. And so when a brother or a sister in Christ sins against you, do you forgive them seven times? No. You forgive them every time. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times seven times. It's not the number that's the point. It's that you just don't stop forgiving them because they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so you're doing whatever it takes to help them to get rid of the sin in their lives. You're doing whatever it takes to point them back to Christ. You're doing everything you can to help them to keep following Jesus. And so even when our relationships turn sour, when sin rears its head, We are forgiving each other over and over and over again. And so, friends, if there is a brother or a sister in Christ that you are right now holding a grudge against, if they have wronged you in some way and they've repented and they're coming to you for forgiveness, but you just won't let go of what they did, You need to stop seeing them as your enemy. You need to stop seeing them as someone who deserves everything they get. And instead, you need to see them as they are. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. One of the precious children of God. And help them however you can to keep their trust in Christ. You're to forgive them. Easier said than done, isn't it? And so Jesus gives yet another reason why we would be so forgiving of one another, and it's this. We've been forgiven by God of every single sin that we have ever and ever will commit, and so when a brother or sister in Christ sins against us, well, of course we'll forgive them. From verse 23, Jesus tells a parable. Uh, We haven't got time to look at it now. I do hope you've read it during the week. Uh, The parable teaches us that we have all sinned against God in so many ways and there is no way at all that we could possibly make up for all that we have done against God and yet he is willing to forgive me of every single one of my sins. Verse 24, 
And so when a brother or sister in Christ sins against me, I know it is nothing compared to everything that I have done against God. And he forgave me. And so, of course, I'll forgive you. That's the second implication of everyone being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We forgive one another over and over again. As Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And this going to great lengths for one another when it comes to when we sin against one another is then given a practical application for the Israelites at the time. In chapter 19, after Jesus had finished teaching his disciples, some Jewish religious leaders come up to Jesus to test him. And the issue they raise is that of marriage and divorce. And Matthew puts this right after chapter 18 to help us to see how far we're to go in terms of being forgiving of one another. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 3 of chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? All right, let's just make sure we got the scene. Okay, we've got some Jewish religious leaders asking Jesus about a, a question about how to understand the Old Testament law when it comes to divorce. Now, we're not Jews. And we're not under the Old Testament law. So we're not going to be able to just read this straight off the page and apply it to us. As I said, Matthew's put this here to help us to see something of the lengths that we will go to when it comes to being forgiving. We're seeing something of how far we'll go in our commitment to one another. Okay, so the Pharisees, they're wondering if, under the law, they can divorce their wives for any reason. Jesus replies by saying that in Genesis, from creation, God made marriage to be between a man and a woman, and marriages were meant to last, not be broken. The Pharisees then come back at him and they say, yes, but what about Moses and the law in Deuteronomy? Moses says, we can just write a certificate and divorce our wives. Look at it there in verse 7. Verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, this is clearly an argument about how to understand the Old Testament law, which at the time stood for Israel. And the Pharisees felt justified from the law to be able to get rid of their wives for any reason at all. It is an awful attitude, isn't it? It is awful. And it is the exact opposite level of commitment that Jesus has been talking about back in chapter 18. And what the Pharisees were thinking wasn't even what the law itself was trying to say at all. Look at verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. According to Jesus, under the law for Israel, the only reason for divorce was marital unfaithfulness, and the only reason Moses even allowed this 
was because their hearts were hard. And so even for Israel with hard hearts under the law, divorce was to be rare. Now, as I said, we're not Israelites. We're not under the law. We've also been given the spirit of God. And so we have soft hearts replacing our hard hearts, which is why in 1 Corinthians 7, the only place in the New Testament letters where Christians and separation is dealt with, divorce is even more rare than what it was for Israel under the law. We haven't got time to look at that now. I'll leave you to read 1 Corinthians 7 for yourselves. For now, though, here in Matthew 19, what are we seeing? We're seeing a worked example for the Israelites under the law of what it would look like for them to be as forgiving as Jesus is talking about back in chapter 18. It meant only divorcing their wives under the most extreme of circumstances. Okay, take a step back. Breathe, ready? Summary, what have we seen so far? No pecking order in the kingdom of heaven. Because the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are simply anyone who is in it. And we've been shown two implications of this truth. It means that the last thing you would do is cause any of God's precious children to sin. And it'll mean that we're forgiving one another over and over and over again. Brings us to the second reason why there's no pecking order in the kingdom of heaven. Things get a lot quicker now, so everybody relax. Uh, The second reason that there's no pecking order in God's kingdom is because we all have to become like little children to even enter in. In verse 13, uh, some people, presumably parents, bring their children to Jesus. The disciples, though, tell the parents off. Jesus pulls his disciples up. Look at it there, chapter 19, verse 14. Chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This is just like what we saw in chapter 18, isn't it? Unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's who is in the kingdom of heaven, people who become like little children. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be like a little kid? Well, to help us to know what it means, the very next person we meet is someone who's not like a little child. You want to be the opposite of this next guy. So instead of being like a little child who knows that they need help, this guy is totally self-sufficient. Now, we haven't got time to look at him in detail here, but in short, this guy had a lot of confidence in himself. Uh, He considered himself to be a good person. Uh, He also had a bit of wealth behind him, so he'd made something of himself. Uh, He was a good, upright, moral, successful man. Sounds like a typical middle-class Aussie, doesn't it? Okay, But what it meant was that he thought he could be good enough for God on his own. He didn't need any help. He's a self-made man. He could make it into the kingdom of heaven on his own merits. In other words, he wasn't like a little child at all. Because a little child knows they need help. A little child knows they can't do things on their own. A little child humbly relies on other people to do things for them. And as Jesus said, only people who become like a little child are those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's who's in it. And it's another reason why there's no pecking order in the kingdom of heaven, because to be in the kingdom, you have to admit that you are just like everybody else. You need help. You're not better than anybody else. No one's better than you. We're all the same. We all need help. 
So friends, in the eyes of the world, you might be someone who is successful. You could be wealthy, educated, moral, respectful. You might be influential. The world might see you like that. But before God, you are weak, flawed and sinful. Just like the rest of us. And so we are all in desperate need of God's help if we are to even get into the kingdom of heaven. Which brings us to the last reason Jesus gives for why there's no pecking order in his kingdom. And that is because anyone who has got in has only got into the kingdom because God got them in. Uh, This truth is explained in a number of ways in chapter 20. We're only going to look at the first one, which is a parable that Jesus tells at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, At the end of chapter 19, Jesus has just said that the first will be last and the last will be first. And then he tells this parable to explain what that means. So look at it there, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Okay, so this parable is explaining something to us about the kingdom of heaven. And it's like a landowner who is hiring men to go and work in his vineyard. All right, in the parable, I'll retell it very quickly, the landowner goes into town at six o'clock in the morning, tells a few guys, I'll give you a denarius for a day's work. A denarius was about a day's wages back then. The men agree and they go and get to work. The landowner then goes back into town at 9am, sees a few more men, tells them he'll pay them whatever is right to go and work in his vineyard for the day. They agree and they go to work. The landowner goes, does the same thing at midday and then again at 3pm and then he does the same thing again at 5pm. So these last guys, they only work the last remaining hour of the day. It hits knockoff time and the landowner then pays his workers. He starts with the last guys and he gives them a full denarius for their one hour of work. Now the guys who are hired first, they're expecting now that they are going to get much more than a denarius, maybe 11 times more, but when they get paid, they receive just the denarius that they agreed to. They start grumbling against the landowner. This isn't fair. But the landowner comes right back at them. Pick it up in verse 13, chapter 20, verse 13. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And this is exactly what the kingdom of heaven is like. Everyone in it receives the same. Whether you started following Jesus from childhood And so you've spent the rest of your life serving him as wholeheartedly as you can or whether you started following Jesus just before you died. And even though you'd spent a lifetime ignoring Jesus altogether, in the end, the two of you will receive exactly the same thing, the kingdom of heaven. And so as Jesus says in verse 16, the last will be first and the first will be last. It's not that they swap places, it's that they become the same. The last will be first and the first will be last because in the end they receive the same thing, the kingdom of heaven. 
And friends, if you think that that's unfair, it's because you think that what you do counts for something in getting into the kingdom of heaven, but it doesn't. Getting into the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't depend on what you do because it's only God who can get you in. So a little later in the chapter, Jesus spells out that he's the one who gets people into the kingdom because he is the one who died for us. He's the one who paid the price for our sins. He is the only one who can set us free from the judgment of God. If the Lord Jesus doesn't grab you and rip you and pull you into the kingdom of heaven, you don't get in. All right. We have covered a lot of ground. I get that. There is a lot in these chapters. But overall, what are we seeing? There's no pecking order in the kingdom of heaven. Because if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you know it's because God got you in. It's got nothing to do with you. And if you're in the kingdom of heaven, then you've admitted that you didn't do anything to get in. All you brought to the table was your sin. God had to deal with that for you. And so if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you have become like a little child. And so if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you know you are just the same as everyone else who's in it. The Lord Jesus has made you, along with everyone else in his kingdom, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so what does that mean for us? It means we handle one another with care. We don't cause one another to sin We forgive one another when we do because we know it's only by the blood of Jesus that he has brought us together to be in his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to appreciate your grace that you are the one who has brought us into your kingdom. Father, please help us to see one another rightly, to see ourselves rightly, and so, Father, to love one another deeply. Father, help us to forgive one another, even as in Christ you have forgiven us. Father, give us the strength and the, the will, the character to love you, and to love your people, and to love your grace. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.